Good morning. Hello, everyone. Happy Sabbath to everyone and a blessed Sabbath. Thank you, Brother Ruben, for the Ministry of Music. We are always blessed, and we thank you that you're allowing God to use you to bless others through this medium and talent of music. May God bless you. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we are here today, that we are gathered in the name of Christ, and the promise is that if two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. And so we truly believe you are in our midst today. We may not see each other eye to eye, but we are certainly joined in a very tight circle of prayer and communion with you through the Word of God. Bless us as we continue studying the topic of the conscience of man, the voice of God, heard amid the din of human passions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome back. Uh, we are going to continue the study on the liberty of conscience with focus on conscience and then the liberty of conscience. And I'd like to begin by asking you to bring out your Bibles. We'll read three verses that are from three different books, but focusing on the topic of the liberty of conscience and the freedom. The first is found in Romans 8, uh, verse 21, and I read, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption, or decay and death, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And I understand that in the spiritual and literal sense, as always, you know, the Bible's concerned. Then we turn to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, which we quoted from the beginning of our study. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And the last but not the least is found in James 1.25. Of course, this is referring to the law of God, but it's also spoken of as the law of liberty. And the liberty that God has given to man is not unlawful. It is lawful. So it is part and parcel of the whole thing. James 1.25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So knowing God's law, doing God's law, will lead us into practicing and sharing and depending and defending the perfect law of liberty. Now, I'd like to make a very special appeal in this particular instance, and I will be appealing to all my fellow American citizens and residents as well. And here's the reason why. There are very few things God wants us to remember. And one of that, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I'm going to transpose this because at the center of that test would be the Sabbath. And therefore, I would like to, for you and me and everyone else, all my fellow American citizens, residents, don't ever forget 
or constantly remember the real roots, the real foundation upon which this great nation was built upon. For just as the church foundation was built by the 12 apostles upon that immortal rock, Christ Jesus, and then in the prophesied falling away of the church, that foundation was allegedly transferred to another foundation upon Peter, one of the twelve. But yet a mere finite mortal. And the sad thing is unnumbered multitudes believed on it without practicing what the Bereans did. Paul commended the Bereans because they were willing to hear but they went home and examined whether those statements were true and real according to the Word of God. So, in the same manner, these original foundations uh, will be, according to prophecy, which are symbolized by two lamb-like horns in Revelation 13 of that beast there, upon which America was founded, will be likewise, in the end, moved, shifted around, so that only those who have diligently fortified their minds with the great testing truths of the Bible for this last days will be able to discern, detect, and expose such changes, and then repeat the warning. And what is the warning? According to the Founding Fathers, it says eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Now, I've read in the past and continue to do so about how America started, how the Puritans came and fled the shores, and what happened therefrom. And after that, to this time, and I love the way it's been rendered in the book, The Great Controversy, so it is summarized, and I'm going to share this with you from the book of The Great Controversy on uh, pages 6 or 292 to 294. This is on the topic of the founding of America, the pilgrims, and the name Roger Williams. Okay, let's begin. It was the desire for liberty of conscience that inspired the pilgrims to brave the perils of that long journey across the sea, to endure the hardships and the dangers of the wilderness, that's sea and land, and with God's blessings to lay on the shores of America the foundation of a mighty nation. Yet those honest and as God-fearing as they were, the pilgrims did not yet comprehend the great principles of religious liberty. The great principle of religious liberty. They had a limited concept of it. The freedom which they sacrificed so much to secure for themselves, they were not equally ready to grant to others. Very few, and this is quoting a, um, a historian, Martin, very few even of the foremost thinkers and moralists of the 17th century 
had any just conception of that grand principle of religious liberty, which is the outgrowth of the New Testament, which acknowledges God as the sole judge of human faith. One other word for faith is religion. The doctrine that God has committed to the church, the right to control the conscience and to define and punish heresy. Now, be careful about the definition of heresy. We'll take that on and ask the, whoever has defined heresy to define it for us, and we will see how startlingly contradicting to the Bible it is on the topic of the right of conscience and freedom of liberty of conscience. And so it says, the doctrine that God has committed to the church the right to control the conscience and to define and punish heresy is one of the most deeply rooted of papal errors. While the reformers rejected the creed of Rome, they were not themselves entirely free from her spirit of intolerance. Remember, we discussed this earlier. The dense darkness in which the long ages of her rule, popery had enveloped all Christendom, had not yet, even yet been wholly dissipated. So said one of the leading ministers of the colony of the Massachusetts Bay. Sounds familiar, American history. This is what he said. It was toleration that made the world anti-Christian, and the church never took harm by the punishment of heretics. That's on volume 5, page 335 by Martin. The regulation was adopted by the colonists that only church members should have a voice in the civil government. Sounds very familiar and very recent, doesn't it? A kind of state church was formed, all the people being required to contribute to the support of the clergy, that's a requirement, and the magistrates, that's the civil, being authorized to suppress heresy. Thus, the secular power was in the hands, not of the people, but of the church. And so it was not long before these measures led to the inevitable result. Stands with letter P, persecution. So 11 years, 11 years after the planting of the very first colony, Roger Williams came to the New World. And like the early pilgrims, he came to enjoy religious freedom. But unlike them, Roger Williams saw what so few in his time had not yet seen. And what was that? that this freedom was the inalienable right of all, whatever might be their creed or beliefs. He was the earnest and an earnest seeker for truth, with Robinson holding it impossible that all the light from God's word had yet to, to be received. Williams was the first person in modern Christendom to establish civil government on the doctrine of the liberty of conscience, the equality of opinions before the law. That's according to George Bancroft on, uh, 
on his book, chapter 15, paragraph 16. Again, Roger Williams was the first person in modern Christendom to establish civil government on the doctrine of the liberty of conscience, the equality of opinions before the law. He declared it to be the duty of the magistrate to restrain crime, but never to control the conscience. The public or the magistrate may decide, he said, what is due from man to man, but when they attempt to prescribe a man's duties to God, they are out of place. And there can be no safety, for it is clear that if the magistrate's civil power has that power, he may decree one set of opinions or beliefs today and then another tomorrow, as has been done in England by different kings and queens and by different popes and councils in the Roman Church, so that belief could become a heap of confusion. Now, the root word of Babel is confusion. And we see that today, spiritual confusion called Babylon. And this being a quote from Martin, the, the, the historian in volume 5, page 340 of his work. Attendance at the services of the established church was required under penalty of a fine or, or imprisonment. Williams reprobated the law. The worst statute in the English code was that which he did but enforce attendance upon the parish church to compel men to unite with those of a different creed he regarded as an open violation of their natural rights to drag to public worship. The irreligious and the unwilling seemed only like requiring hypocrisy. That's what Williams was not only opinionated about, but he was convicted about. He wrote, no one should be bound to worship or, he added, to maintain a worship against his own consent. Is not the laborer worthy of his hire? Yes, he replied, from them that hire him. As from Bancroft and page 1, chapter 15, paragraph 2. Now, Roger Williams says, was respected and beloved as a faithful minister, a man of rare gifts, of unbending integrity, and true benevolence, yet his steadfast denial of the right of civil magistrates to authority over the church and his demand for religious liberty could not be tolerated. The application of this new doctrine, it was urged, would subvert, quote, the, subvert the fundamental state and government of the country. He was sentenced See what happened? He was sentenced to banishment from the colonies and finally in order to avoid arrest. He was forced to flee amid the cold and the storms of winter into the unbroken forest. 
For 14 weeks, he says, I was sorely toast in a bitter season, not knowing what bread or bed did mean. But the ravens fed me in the wilderness, and a hollow tree often served him as a shelter. Thus he continued his painful flight through the snow and the trackless forest until he found refuge with an Indian tribe whose confidence and affection he had won while endeavoring to teach them the truths of the gospel. Making his way at last, after months of change and wandering to the shores of the Narragansett Bay, he there laid the foundation of the first state of modern times that in the fullest sense recognized the right of religious freedom. The fundamental principle of Roger Williams' colony was that every man should have liberty to worship God according to the light of his own conscience. That's quoting from the work of the historians. His little state, Rhode Island, became the asylum of the oppressed and it increased and prospered until its foundation principles what are they? Civil and religious liberty became the cornerstone of the American Republic. In that grand old document which our forefathers set forth as their Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, they declared, and this is the background of this statement that we have committed to memory. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the Constitution guarantees in the most explicit terms the inviolability of the conscience. No religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. And Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, that's number one, or punishing the free exercise thereof. See, the framers and this is from the Congressional Documents of the USA, Serial Number 200, Document 271. The framers of the Constitution recognized the eternal principle that man's relation with his God is above human legislation and his rights of conscience inalienable. Reasoning was not necessary to establish this truth. We are conscious of it in our own bosoms. It is this consciousness which, in defiance of human laws, has sustained so many martyrs in tortures and flames. They felt that their duty to God was superior to human enactments and that man could ever exercise no authority over their conscience. It is an inborn principle which nothing can eradicate. Again, Congressional Document United States, serial number 200, document number 271. As the tidings spread through the countries of Europe, 
I was the old world, of a land where every man might enjoy the fruit of his own labor and obey the convictions of his own conscience. Thousands flocked to the shores of the new world. Colonies rapidly multiplied. And Martin writes, Massachusetts, by special law, offered free welcome and aid at the public cost to Christians of any nationality who might fly beyond the Atlantic to escape from wars or famine or the oppression of persecutors. Thus, the fugitive and the downtrodden were by statute made the guests of the commonwealth. That's what the commonwealth means. In 20 years from the first landing at Plymouth, as many thousand pilgrims were settled in New England. To secure the object which they sought, they were content to earn a bare subsistence by a life of frugality and toil. They asked nothing from the soil but the reasonable returns of their own labor. No golden vision threw a deceitful halo around their oath, their path. They were content with the slow but steady progress of their social polity. They patiently endured the privations of the wilderness. One watering the tree of liberty with their tears and with the sweat of their brows till it took deep root in this land. The Bible was held as the foundation of faith, the source of wisdom, and the charter of liberty. Its principles were diligently taught at home, in the school, and in the church, and its fruits were manifest in thrift, intelligence, purity, and temperance. One might be for years a dweller in the Puritan settlement and never see a drunkard or hear an oath or meet a beggar. That's to Bancroft on his book. It was demonstrated that the principles of the Bible are the surest safeguards of national greatness. The feeble and isolated colonists grew to a confederation of powerful states, and the world marked with wonder the peace and prosperity of a church without a pope and a state without a king. Quote, that's really the layman's definition and yet the most profound, easy to understand definition of church, state, church power and state power remaining separate. Or, as some Protestant reformers put it, Protestantism and Republicanism. Protestantism being a, a church without a pope and Republicanism being a state without a king. And we'll continue to quote from this. By continually increasing numbers were attracted to the shores of America, actuated by motives widely different from those of the first pilgrims. Though the primitive faith and purity exerted a widespread and molding power, yet 
its influence became, notice that, less and less as the numbers increased of those who sought only worldly advantages. The regulations adopted by the early colonists of permitting only members of the church to vote or to hold office in the civil government led to the most pernicious results. This measure had been accepted as a means of preserving the purity of the state, but it resulted in the corruption of the church. Watch that. That attempt, thinking that as the means of preserving the purity of the, the state, only resulted in the corruption of the church. That's why those two must ever remain separate. A profession of religion being the condition of suffrage, voting, and office holding, many actuated merely by motives of worldly policy, united with the church without a change of heart. They were never truly born again. Thus, the churches came to consist to a considerable extent of unconverted persons members of the church and even in the ministry were those who were not only those who held errors of doctrine but who were actually ignorant of the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. Thus again was demonstrated the evil results so often witnessed in the history of the church from the days of Constantine to the very present time of attempting to build up the church by the aid of the state, of appealing to the secular power in support of the gospel of him who declared, my kingdom is not of this world, John 18, 36. The union with church with state be the degree never so slight while it may appear to bring the world nearer to the church, does in reality but bring the church nearer to the world. That great principle so nobly advocated by Robinson and Roger Williams, that truth is progressive, that Christians should stand ready to accept all the light which may shine from God's holy word, was lost sight of by their descendants. The Protestant churches of America and those of Europe as well, so highly favored in receiving the blessings of the Reformation, failed to press forward in receiving the blessings of the Reformation and in the path of reform. Though a few faithful men arose from time to time to proclaim new truth and expose long-cherished error, the majority, like the Jews in the day of Christ or the papists in the time of Martin Luther, were content to believe as their fathers believed and to live as they lived. Therefore, religion again degenerated into formalism and errors and superstitions, which would have been cast aside had the church continued to walk in the light of God's word. They were retained and cherished. Thus, the spirit inspired by Reformation gradually died out until there was almost as great a need of reform in the Protestant churches themselves as it was in the Roman church in the time of Martin Luther. There was the same worldliness and the spiritual stupor and a similar reverence for the opinions of men and substitution of human theories for the teachings of God's word. 
parentheses the state in which we are found. And fellow Americans and American citizens and residents, I want to reiterate what I said earlier, the appeal I made. Don't ever, ever forget the real roots, the real foundations upon which this nation was built upon. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Stay awake by God's grace and by the feeding upon God's word and through prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we still have time to understand the issues of the day, the real ones. People are so taken back or taken aback by all that is transpiring around us and forgetting there are core issues and the real nature of the great controversy and the real problems facing the United States and the real enemy of religious liberty. God has chosen to reveal that through his prophets. Help us to turn to the prophecies of Christ that he may lead us and that we may recognize him when he comes again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.